You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Genesis chapter 1. Bring it back to the beginning. Do you guys have a good Thanksgiving? I like it. Ooh, look at that. That was better than when I'd say, hello, everyone. You just look back at me. That's good. I like it. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. This is the first Sunday of Advent. So welcome. So for those of you that grew up or come from a church tradition where Advent wasn't celebrated, I'm going to explain a little bit of it to you. So Advent... And the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming, which is translated as a translation of the Greek word parousia. Most know Advent today as a time of anticipation and expectation of the birth of Christ. It's also, interestingly enough, Advent is also seen as this waiting of the second coming of Jesus, because we believe that Jesus not only came the first time, but that he will return and set everything in order. But Advent, you know, is traditionally celebrated with a wreath and with a candle wreath where you would light one candle each week as the time passes between or as the as the sorry, as the time passes, the light begins to grow. So as you can see this morning, there's just one candle lit. And many families and I would encourage you guys to step in to, to practice this. I did not grow up in a church at all. And then when I got saved and started going to church, we didn't celebrate Advent, really. It wasn't something that happened a little bit later. But I have really grown a love for the season of Advent because of what it represents and this idea of waiting with excitement more than just getting your presents on Christmas morning or giving presents to your loved ones on Christmas morning. But my wife, she grew up in a Lutheran church that did celebrate Advent. It was a very common practice. And I remember when we started dating, her parents were still attending that church. And they were, we sat down to eat one night, and they turned off all the lights. And I was like, what on earth is happening right now? And then they just lit one candle. And my in-laws are not like this ultra-spiritual people, so it was really like, what's going on here? Uh, and many families will celebrate this, you know, by eating by candlelight one meal a week. And so they'll sit and they'll turn off all the lights and you'll eat by just the light of a single candle or two candles or three and eventually four. And they'll notice as the light grows from this single flicker to a collection of, you know, the candles bringing light that fills the whole room. And just the beauty of what we celebrate on Christmas morning is Christ enters the world and so for the four weeks leading up to Christmas, we will be lighting each a new, our new candle each service as we go towards Christmas Eve. And so something that's important to point out as I'm doing a little bit of introduction in this part is that between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there's this gap between the, the Testaments. 
And I remember when I first started going to church, I was like, oh, it just kind of rolls all together. You know, it just kind of keeps happening. But there's this 400-year gap where God is silent. And it's this mo- the last moment where God speaks to the children of Israel through Malachi. And then when Mary is finally told that she will be giving birth to the Savior of the world. That's a long time. It's a really long time of silence. And I share that because I think it's important. And I think it's noticeable because it's important for us to realize that this during this time it's not a picture of the children of Israel being in such sin that God is not willing to, to meet with them. And it's not because of their sin that there's silence. Or that there was a lack of faithfulness or devoted followers during this time period. But it's simply just that. It's a period of time where there was no new prophetic word spoken to the people. And they had to live it out with faithfulness in that period. So there was this pastor that I really, really love. And uh, he was very influential in my own story. And he just, he had this way of talking about suffering that I thought was incredibly powerful. And I met him at a conference and he was friends with my old senior pastor. And he was sharing this story though at a conference I was at and we were talking one time. And he lost his wife to a, to a battle with cancer. It was very aggressive. And I only had an opportunity to meet her a couple of times and she was just this beautiful woman and just incredibly sweetheart. But he ended up losing her in this battle and and I remember we were sitting there talking one time and he's he's sitting in his living room surrounded by friends and family. His wife has just passed and eventually everybody kind of funnels out to go do what they need to do. His kids are off at school. He's still there just trying to kind of reel and figure things out. And he just feels in this moment, man, my feelings are just too much. The grief's too powerful. And so he's like, I'm I'm just going to go take a shower. So he's in the shower, and he's crying. And he's praying what most of us, I believe, in this situation would be praying. saying, why, God? Why would you do this? Why couldn't you give me my wife? Why couldn't you heal my wife? And I'll never forget what he said next. He said, you know what I heard when I was praying those prayers? I heard the loudest silence I've ever heard in my entire life. So silence in that moment was a picture of pain and disappointment, a doubt, questioning of God's goodness. He was this child of God who is doing the work of the ministry, who's seeking out God for answers, but instead of being met with relief from his pain and relief from the situation, he's met with silence. And I don't know about your story. Some of you I know your stories. But in my own story, I know there's plenty of moments where God is. He's exactly that. He's silent. And if you know that feeling, it feels lonely. 
It feels incredibly hard. It feels dark. Which brings us to our text. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The scripture will be on the screens as well. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And so before God begins creating the world, creating animals, creating mankind, doing all these things, you know, putting birds in the sky and fish in the sea and all these things, the world is formless, so there's no shape to it. It's just this vastness. And it says that his spirit is hovering over the waters and that darkness was over the whole surface. So before God begins with creating the world, the first thing that has to happen is that God creates light. And he separates the light and the darkness. And I always think what's interesting about when he created light is he looks at the light and he says, this is good. And you can see all through scripture where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. We are called to be children of God who walk in the light and that we don't hide in the darkness. There's this thing that happens and this call that we have as followers of Jesus that we are drawn into the light. Darkness is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it. Last month we had the opportunity, we went to Disneyland and those of you that know my kids, Daisy, my uh, seven-year-old, surprised me a ton on this trip. So something you'll learn about me is I'm a total wimp when it comes to amusement parks. I hate roller coasters, I hate heights, I'm a total wimp on that stuff. But my daughter, she had this attitude, she's just ready and willing to ride pretty much anything. So from Splash Mountain, Space Mountain, she rides that Incredicoaster thing. You know, we go, to, we're at California Adventure one night though, and it, the park's getting ready to close. I have my older two, Emma and Daisy, and we're, get, we're in line to get on this one ride and it breaks. And I'm like, oh man, we only have like five minutes to get a ride in, otherwise we're toast. We just get to walk back and our feet hurt for nothing. Um, and so I look at them and I go, hey, there's this water rapid ride, this Grizzly Peak ride. And it's one of those big inner tubes you sit in and you kind of get thrown around. And it's, I think it's super fun. So my daughter, Emma, she's more nervous just by nature. She's always a little worried about everything. And she's like, wait, we're changing the plan? Like, we can't do that. And I'm like, it's okay. You're a new. We always change the plans. So, but Daisy's a game and ready to go. So we take off and we make it to this, the thing. And Emma's the whole time like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And Jesus is like, this is going to be awesome. So we get in. We get in our little deal. We all get buckled in. And they set us off and we start cruising up the little hill or whatever. But it's getting, the park's getting ready to close. So it's really dark. And my girls have never seen this ride or been on this ride. So Emma's just like losing it the whole time. She's just terrified. And Daisy's like, it's going to be great. Dad's, Dad takes us on safe things. Like, we're going to be fine. I'm like, yeah, that's right, Daisy. Good job. 
But as we set off into the water, it gets darker because you're kind of submerged a little bit and you go through this cave. It's like the first thing you do. And it's just pitch black. And there's this grizzly bear roar that happens while you're in it. I did not remember any of this. And Daisy, who was like my super brave, confident girl, just begins to sob. And she's like, Dad, I'm so scared. And I'm like, we're already on it, girl. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> super comforting. And so, but she, the thing I want to point out is why was she scared? She wasn't scared of the ride. Like the idea of the ride. She was scared because it was dark. Because she heard this vicious monster that she couldn't in her brain know if there was a real threat or not. She was living in this place. For those of you that have experienced trauma in your, in your life, in your story, I've got a lot of fun trauma in my story. And I have to constantly remind myself, or my wife is constantly reminding me, like, you're okay. You don't have to live and make decisions from this place. You need to come back and realize that this isn't the same situation. And so as we set off on this ride, we go to the end. Daisy loves it, thought it was great. You know, she was a little scared for a minute. Emma thought it was good too. But this is why one of the greatest fears in children is this fear of the dark because they can't tell if there's a threat or not. And we're really not that different than our kids. When I'm out running early in the morning, I am very hyper aware of what's going on around me, especially here in Idaho. I used to run in the city in California and it did not bother me as much as running where there's wild animals running around because I was like, what is gonna attack me? But many of us can relate to this, not that you know necessarily we're scared of the dark, but in the moments where we are unsure, where it feels like the path ahead is dark and it's unclear. Maybe there's a situation where you feel like God is being silent in your story. And you are just simply living in the waiting. Like the children of Israel. Waiting for that moment. And so in that moment we struggle, we doubt, we fear. And the pastor I was talking about earlier, when he shared this story, he ended it with, with this mind. He ended it with this. He said... As I stood in the shower and listened to the silence, I remember praying, saying, God, if you're not speaking to me here, I need to go where you are speaking. And I just thought the power of that statement is very interesting. Because he wasn't just like, God, you're not speaking, and gave up. But he would continue to press on. And so he went to his Bible and read with a heart that just simply wanted a word from the Lord. And he knew that's what he needed was a word from the Lord. And just like in creation, darkness was there until God spoke. And once God spoke, boom, it happened. Then there was light. Then there was change. And then it was good. And maybe you're like me. Maybe your situations and your circumstances, you can get lost in the darkness of these situations. And your circumstances, not really knowing how to get out of it. So many times we want the simple route. We want God to come up and say, Mike, I need you to go to this coffee shop at 10 a.m. You're going to meet this guy. He's going to become your best friend. He's going to play guitar and do all this stuff and you know, fix a lot of things that are, are, are struggles in your life. 
or you're going to go to this place at 9 a.m. and you're going to share the gospel and this person's going to receive Christ and there's going to be this great revival. But it's not like that. It's the simple and it's the, it's the regular everyday stuff of life. We do, we want the clear step-by-step -step directions for our lives. Or we want God to wave his Holy Spirit wand and just fix the issues or our struggles we're currently facing. And it's easy to allow situations and allow different things to rob us. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't what you were hoping it would be. Or maybe it's the desire for a relationship. Maybe you have struggles with your family's health or financial pressure that is just looming and crushing. Maybe you're pursuing a dream that is proving to be a lot more challenging and, and difficult than expected. Those of you that have kids, kids are amazing and they're beautiful and super fun. But it is all, raising kids is also incredibly hard and challenging. Maybe you're struggling and you're stuck in, with a particular sin. And you've prayed for delivery and you've prayed for forgiveness and you've given it over to God multiple times, but you're just wrestling in this moment. Or maybe you're just struggling in your own mental health. Each of these things can weigh heavy on us and keep us in that darkness. So how do, we get the, how do we get the light to separate that stuff out in our lives? Well, there's really only one thing that can cut through the darkness, and it's light. And the beauty about when light cuts through darkness, the darker it is, the brighter the light will shine, and the smaller that light has to be. Or it, it, the smaller that light can be, it doesn't have to be. So if you're in a season that feels dark and challenging, what do you need is not a change of circumstances or a change in perspective, a new meditation or a self-help book. But I believe what you need is a word from God. And maybe you're questioning, where do I go for that? Well, this is part of that. I think coming to church is an absolute way that we get God's word into our hearts and into our lives. And I do believe God does something special in us coming together as the people of God. You know, how do I get God to show up and to speak? And it's simple, but it's not easy. We need to be a people who read our Bibles. It's, it's a simple application, but it's a difficult reality that we live in. Because in our current day, we are such a distracted people because we have so many things between our emails and our phones and all the different stuff and pressures with work or family, whatever it is, that crowd into our lives that we feel we don't have the time to allow God to speak. But we need to be a people who read our Bibles, coming to it not just with a place of duty, but a place of expecting God to touch our hearts. In 1 Samuel, you know, Samuel is this young boy who becomes the prophet. And he, he's living with this priest. I, I, I love this story. I just think it's a really beautiful picture. But one night he keeps hearing someone call his name. Samuel, Samuel. And he keeps running to this man, Eli, who's the priest in the temple. 
And so he keeps running to Eli and he says, here I am. And Eli keeps looking at him and he's like, I didn't call you. Stop coming in here. It's very much like, if you want to see what my life is like every night, that's what it feels like. I'm not calling you into my room. Please go back to bed. It's 4 a.m. But the third time, and I should just try this with my girls next time they come in. Go and lie down and when he calls, say, speak, your Lord. (laughs) Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Maybe something will happen. Uh, But the third time, Eli realizes something is going on and believes that God was trying to speak to Samuel. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. It's in this moment that God gives Samuel a word where the word cuts through the reality of what Samuel's living. He doesn't sense that God is trying to speak to him, but God is trying to get a hold of him, to, to give him a word for the people of Israel. You know, another picture of this is one of the most famous verses in the book of Psalms where it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What the psalmist is telling us there is that God's word is what should be shaping our lives and directing our choices and the overall direction of our lives. If you spend time in God's word or just simply look at the teachings of Jesus, we see that God calls us to live differently than we would naturally think. Because when someone wrongs you, what does Jesus or what does your mind tell you and your heart tell you? You're like, that guy can kick rocks and just I'm never going to talk to them again. But Jesus comes to us and says, hey, I want you to love your enemy. When someone comes and asks you for something, don't look at yourself and go, well, can I financially swing this? He's like, no, go and give him what he asked for and give him a little more. It's not enough just not to murder someone, but don't live with hatred in your heart. It's not enough to not commit infidelity and cheat on your spouse. But don't be a person that's, that's living with a lustful heart. He calls us to love him and love others deeply and faithfully and sacrificially. And God's word meets us in these deep and personal ways. And the, the beautiful thing about the scriptures is these are things we cannot do on our own accord. I do not naturally have it in me to be like, I'm just going to like give all this money away. Or I'm going to go and spend all this time to serve the poor and the needy. But the word of God, when it gets into our hearts and begins to transform us from the inside out, we realize that the American dream is not the gospel we want to follow. The gospel that we want to follow is that of Jesus, because Jesus takes that which is broken and makes it whole. The author, you know, the God's word meets us in these deep and personal ways. The author of Hebrews states it this way in Hebrews 4 verse 12. It says... For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
coming full circle, that pastor who lost his wife, reading his Bible, did not fix his situation. His wife was still dead. He was still parenting two children and was a widow. Reading his Bible did not take away that pain. The pain was very much still there. There is no magic fix or phrase to fix a situation like that. But what he did experience was God did speak to him. And the thing that God spoke to him, it wasn't magical. Because a lot of times we hear these stories and we go like, well, you're going to experience this and you can go and comfort someone else. And I'm like, oh man, that sounds terrible. Like, I don't want to comfort anyone like that. Or we think God's going to speak like, all right, Isaiah 52, verse 2. That's what you need. But instead, God just spoke to him and said, I know and I'm with you. Because what he did experience was God when he spoke to his heart. He was able to hear and sense that even though he felt alone, he wasn't alone. That God was with him. And when the light shines into the darkness, you're able to see. You're no longer trying to figure out where to step or what's going on around you. You can see who is actually with you. And in our day, we live in a world that there is a lot of darkness and there is a lot of chaos. And what our world needs in this moment is is light. And for us as followers of Jesus, we need to be that light. Because we know that light has come. John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, it says, In him being Jesus' life, and that the life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So no matter where you're at, what you've been through, or what you're currently going through, know this. Know that light has come. And in this season of Advent, we want to keep coming back to this place of being reminded of that that fact. That light has come. That light has overcome the darkness. In those 400 years of God's silence, the light was not snuffed out. God was still there. In the moments of disappointment and frustration and struggle and and sin and all the different ways that we wrestle, maybe it looks in your life like all four candles are lit and the whole room is illuminated. Maybe your story, you look and you're like, man, I've only got one candle. It's pretty dark in here. Let that one light, that one candle be a picture and be a picture of hope for you that Jesus is with you this morning and throughout the rest of your life. So one of the things we really want to do as a church as we 
believe there's incredible value in us taking communion together. And at Jesus' last meal with his disciples, he sat in the upper room, and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he held up the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And he said, take these often or take these things often and remember me. And so may we remember the work of Jesus this morning. That because of who he is and what he's done and that he's paid for us and we are now given the opportunity to become children of God, children of life, bringing the gospel into the world for people to know and see the beauty of who he is. And so Graham's going to put some music on and I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to come and grab the communion elements and just hold on to them. I'd love for us to take them together this morning before we close. And so let him.